Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. This is the very definition of a unanimous hawkish pause. The Fed leaves rates today in the range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent while saying growth is solid and inflation elevated. So higher for longer. Policymakers leave another rate move on the table for this year and take two reductions off the table for the next two years. The statement once again discusses, quote, the extent of additional policy firming that may be appropriate. And the dot plot shows that 12 members of the Open Market Committee still believes they will raise rates by another 25 basis points this year. The high dot at six and a quarter percent comes out of the dot plot with St. Louis Fed's Jim Bullard's retirement. For 2024, the committee now sees a median effective Fed funds rate of 5.1 percent, up 50 basis points from their June projection. And for 2025, 3.9 percent, up from 3.4 percent in June. The long-run neutral rate is unchanged at 2.5 percent, although the central tendency range moves up to 3.3 percent from 2.8, and the dots show seven members think that neutral is higher than 2.5. All this because the Fed sees stronger growth, lower unemployment, and lower core inflation ahead. The economy should grow 2.1 percent this year, they say. That is up from 1 percent, their June forecast, more than doubling. They say next year, growth will be one and a half percent, up from 1.1 percent. Unemployment will finish this year at 3.8 percent, down from their June forecast of 4.1 percent, and in the next two years end at 4.1, down from 4.5. PCE headline inflation will be 3.3 percent this year, up a tenth, basically on energy concerns, but their core PCE forecast falls to 3.7 percent, from 3.9%. Next year, it falls to 2.6%. And one final note, no change in QT, no change in the IOR or repo rates. Mike, stay close. I'm just going to work through the price action. So off the back of this decision, we're negative by, let's call it 0.2% on the S&P 500, as you might expect, the Nasdaq underperforming. If you turn to the bond market, yields were lower almost across the curve at the front end as well. They're now higher by three basis points, looking at, staring in the face of the potential of closing at new cycle highs on the front end, 5, 12, 87 turns to 513 on a US two year. So yields up, new cycle highs at the front end of the curve, and the dollar off the back of it a whole lot stronger. The euro against the dollar, 106.89 on the session, positive still by about 0.1%, but certainly off the back of that right. decision, a stronger US dollar. My McKee, I want to come to you on that median dot for 2024. Are you basically telling me the Fed took back half the cuts that were priced for 24 in their previous projection? 
That's basically what I'm telling you, John. Uh, they were looking at 4.6% and now they've gone up to 5.1. Clearly, they think the economy is strong enough that they may need to do more. At least that's the message they want to send to the markets. Mike McKee, I look at the growth forecast. You went through them quickly. Maybe they don't make the headlines. I think they should frame out again their growth vision. As Neil Dutta says, they're wish casting for 2024. Well, the biggest change is 2023. This year, obviously, the way things have been going, they need to mark up yeah. growth for this year. They call it solid. 2.1% is their final growth. But uh, growth next year is 1.5%. That's up from 1.1%. That's a fairly strong change. So they do see uh, perhaps the wish casting that Neil is talking about, the idea that growth can be oh. stronger into next year. And it does certainly suggest the idea of a soft landing. I, I look, Michael McKee, at where we are in this, and it gets to November and December. I know your first question to the chairman will be, tell me about November. Mike McKee, tell us about what this translates into for the next meeting. Well, it's definitely going to put the markets on guard, depending on what kind of data we see, especially in the inflation numbers. The Fed's acknowledging that we're going to see a little bit higher headline, a little bit lower on the core. And if that's what we get, then the Fed could decide to, to raise rates. It's hard to know exactly because of the energy components that are coming into this, but uh, that's what to watch for when we get the CPI and PCE numbers. Uh, the other, of course, joker in the pack is if the government does shut down and there is no data, the Fed will have to use its own kind of uh, methods to figure out where it thinks inflation is. Mike McKee, thank you, sir. We know you've got to run and get to that news conference. Mike McKee's going to sprint to that. It begins in about 25 minutes' time. Just to go through the forecasts again, that is a monster upward revision to GDP. But they're market to market at the Federal Reserve. So they go from 1% to 2.1 for 2023. Tom, the story for me is out in 2026. The story for me on unemployment, they've got it at 4% and PCE back down to 2 and all the way out yeah, there, yeah. several years yeah. away. And this is the aspirational, fanciful stuff that this is how right. it's going to happen. Unemployment for this year, by the way, 3.8% is the forecast now. And it only climbs to 4.1% next year. Right. Bruce Kasman talked about this a little bit earlier this morning at JP Morgan. Tom, how high does unemployment need to go to get inflation lower? That's well, going to be a question we could explore in the next 25 minutes or so. But the Federal Reserve is telling you that they can get back to target 2% in several years' time, and unemployment's going to be in and around 4%. I'm going to go with Duddy here and combine it into what Matt Lazzetti said. I got lucky in that I, I picked out of Matt Lazzetti's note his first look at 2026. I don't even know if there's a first look to first quarter 2024. The uncertainty here, off the pandemic, off the shift from a supply analysis to a demand analysis of the economy. And that's a pretty clumsy move. John, I, I, looking out to 26 now, maybe they're forced to do that. But boy, that's a tough, tough thing. To do. Let's do this. And, and we're very lucky today to do this because we can fold in what you're all reading and feeling about the strike in America. Diane Swank is steep, uh, steeped, I should say, in Midwest economics, her tenure at Bank One, and of course her academics at Ann Arbor. Andrew Hollenhorst uh, with us as well. Diane Swank, I guess the chairman has to mention the strike today. How do you fold strike analysis into the chemistry the Fed has? 
It's really tough. I don't think it. First of all, the strike is very targeted. We'll see over this weekend how far the strike gets. I think um, many people are worried about how long the strike will last. And that is important. It both suppresses economic activity, of course, constrains inventories, but it's constraining inventories in a different way than the chip shortages did. So I'm not as worried about vehicle prices being the push on inflation that they were, that some people are, given that this is a more limited kind of production hit, and it actually gives market share to other producers out there. At the same time, demand has fallen quite dramatically for new vehicles because financing rates have gone so high. I think what's really important in what the Fed just did was the whole concept of higher for longer, much higher for longer, and potentially a higher neutral rate on the other side of this. This is what the theme was coming out of Jackson Hole Symposium, was how synchronous the idea of higher for longer longer mantra is across the developed economies. That even as we approach this peak in interest rates, that the central banks are emboldened because of the resilience that we've seen, even in those economies that have suffered recessions, have not as been as bad as they expected, that they are emboldened to hold rates higher for longer. And there is a concern on the other side of this that they're going to need a higher neutral rate. This is a different world than the world that we left in 2019. Far different, far different. Andrew, at the start of this hiking cycle, we asked a pretty important question. Can we get inflation down to target without doing too much damage to the labour market? Overwhelmingly, people said we couldn't. We've made some progress without killing off the labour market. The Federal Reserve today, Andrew, is extrapolating that out. How hopeful, Andrew, is that forecast? I think that's the big question that these forecasts raise. You have 2023 growth revised materially higher. You have that strong growth continuing into 2024 now in their forecast. So you have an economy that's running at or above potential. You have an unemployment rate that's historically low. And yet we're meant to believe that wages and prices will cool in this economy. This just contradicts basic macroeconomic theory. So This is a forecast that does not line up with traditional ways of forecasting the economy, with the relatively intuitive idea that when labor markets are very tight, that pushes up wages. When labor costs are rising, that pushes up prices. So I think this is a difficult forecast to square with the reality of how economies behave. Um, That's to be addressed at a later point. I think what, what the Fed did today makes sense in the sense that we're running strong growth. We're running inflation that's above target. So it makes sense to guide towards higher for longer. So they, they achieved the hawkish skip. If that was the intent, that's achieved. I think in terms of the forecast, there are some real questions that need to be answered. The hopes and dreams of these forecasts, Dan, let's sit on it. I remember a word that you used maybe more than a year ago. You referred to the forecast from the Federal Reserve as fanciful. Aspirational was a word we heard again this morning, repeated through this afternoon. Dan, when you look at these forecasts further out, do you think it's the right approach to extrapolate out current dynamics, which essentially is the following? Inflation can come down, can come in further without doing real damage to the labour market? I think it's a great idea and I hope they're right. Um, I do think it is still fanciful. Um, One of the things that I think that the Fed is betting on is that we are seeing the high frequency data as the labor markets have cooled. This has been one of the most dramatic 
frenzied pace of a labor market and then cooling that we've ever seen with unemployment still very low. And what they're counting on is the high frequency data on job postings shows that wages are slowing even more rapidly as we go into fall. So they're betting on those things, helping them. At the same time, we've never seen we haven't seen in decades as many strike actions as we're seeing right now. And that's where mm-hmm. things like the current strike with the UAW, the strike that we're seeing in healthcare, care, um, the strikes that we're seeing ongoing with the actors and the writers union, those things will have an impact. And how much we see the cost of living adjustments baked into contracts going forward is going to be very important. Remember, with the pop in energy prices, we're going to see an increase. The September CPI is what sets the numbers for Social Security bump in January. Right. That's one of the reasons. It's going to be a higher bump now. That's one of the reasons we had stickier inflation at the start of this year. And so yeah. that could be a sticking point and be harder for the Federal Reserve. Andrew Hollenhorst, you need a victory lap right now. I've got a 5.13% two-year yield. I've got a 10-year real yield any moment to pop through 2%, uh, 1.99% right now. How does our economy, how does our business society, how does it adapt to a 2% real yield? Is that a signal of buoyancy and resilience, or is that a signal of trouble to come? You know, we've seen the economy a lot more resilient to higher interest rates than I think many people expected at the beginning of this rate hike cycle. And part of that is that a lot of the debt that's out there is fixed rate debt that doesn't mature for many years. You think about 30-year fixed rate mortgages, many of those are still at lower rates. You think about some of the corporate borrowing that's taking right. place, and that also hasn't all been refinanced yet. So as as that debt is refinanced, you start to have people, individuals, and firms experiencing higher rates, that should slow the economy. You see credit that's tightening. So there is a sense that this is slowing the economy, but it has to be sustained. And I think that's the message in the dot plot. For Bloomberg Radio Worldwide, bring up the chart again on television here that we just put up with a two-year yield back to before the pandemic. And this is an arch call by Hollenhorst, and Swank was very good at this as well. Andrew Hollenhorst, we're back to yields that I remember and Diane Swank doesn't remember. The, cons- the consensus belief out there is, OMG, we're all going to die with this yield structure. We're going to a 6% two-year Holland Horse yield. Are we all going to die? Well, remember the 2005 to 2007 period. This was an extended period of time when the economy performed relatively well and we sustained higher yield levels. And it wasn't that long ago, but it just feels like a long time ago and many people haven't experienced that yield environment. So I I think this is kind of rediscovering that economies can continue to grow, continue to produce inflation at higher yield levels. Eventually, these levels may be restrictive enough, sufficiently restrictive in the words of the Fed to cool the economy, but that's a process that can take time. Diane, you're one of the best at this. Give Mike McKee a little bit more help. What's the question for Mike for this chairman in this news conference that starts in about 15 minutes' time? I really want to know about how they're so optimistic about growth for next year, given some of the headwinds that we face going into next year, everything from higher oil prices to student loan repayments and the additional tightening that they expect in the pipeline, not only in the banking sector, but more broadly. So, you know, that one and a half percent is really pretty stunning with a half percent higher 
on short-term interest rates. That's remarkable resilience um, with the cooling of inflation. And I'm just trying to square how that all comes together. Yeah. Oh, Diane, we all are. We're trying to figure this out. Diane Swank there and Andrew Hollenhorst, two of the very best on the Federal Reserve. That news conference starts in 15 minutes. If you're just joining us, welcome. Special coverage of the September Federal Reserve decision live on TV and radio, a Bloomberg surveillance special alongside Tom Keane. I'm Jonathan Farrow. The decision unchanged, no change on rates of the Federal Reserve. The focus on the projections of this Fed, a monster upgrade to GDP for this year, in many ways marking to market. No news there. We understood that growth was better than expected through much of this year. They understand that now. The new projection is 2.1%. The old projection was just 1%. An upgrade to the GDP forecast as well for next year too, for 2024. That goes from 1.1% to one5 Some of the projections elsewhere are pretty fascinating. 12 of the 19 officials on the FOMC still forecasting, plotting an extra hike this year in 2023. In 2024, the median dot. We priced out half the cuts they had projected in the previous set of forecasts. But ultimately, it's the soft landing hope and dream. The decision, Tom, today is to extrapolate out current conditions. The idea that we can get back to target Uh, all the way back to 2% without seeing unemployment climb much higher than 4%. We had a banner up moments ago on television here, and I did the quick nominal GDP math. And this is basically out 24 months, out 36 months, you know, out to when we turn into a pumpkin. John, it's simple. They're looking at 4% nominal GDP or lower. And there's a lot of people looking at the spirit of this economy saying that with this inflation that that maybe strengthens the economy. And it's a, you know, to, to bust Bramos chops, it's a toxic brew. It is a toxic you brew. Know, I mean, but for them right now, there's nothing toxic about those projections. I, I, I can't get out the Max Kettner. We said Max Kettner, HSBC. Yeah. He started talking. We said that sounds like Goldilocks forever. Yes. On those projections, yeah, Goldilocks yeah. for the next I, 12 months. I, yeah, I would. I would. The rest of this I cycle. Would say so. And what's interesting here, folks, we're coming to you from London is, you know, those of you on TV can tell the sunset is spectacular tonight. I went out on the sidewalk in the rain here, the lovely afternoon rain. How did that work out for you? Of London <laughs> practicing for Bank of England tomorrow. And this jumble that we're seeing right now in America yeah. is the same exact theoretical jumble we're going to see tomorrow with the Bank of England. These people are making it up as they go. Let's turn to the price action and see how yeah. much change. Chairman Powell has to say in the news conference that starts in about 13 minutes. Your equity market totally unchanged on the S&P, slightly negative on the Nasdaq, but this move in the bond market, Tom, let's sit on that. The two-year cycle highs through 5.1%, just like that, up by three basis points on the session, Tom. Yield on the 10-year, not much price action there, 434, 30-year, let's call it 440 TK on the long bond. Let's bring it in right now. This is very important. P. Jim's Greg Peters with us on Yield and Jim Bianco with us with Bianco Research. Jim, let me go to you right away. I just think this is so, so important. There's a sense of longer. I see a nominal GDP call out 24 months, which is not longer. It's that finally rates come in. Do you buy it? Uh, Well, I buy the idea that you want to be looking at GDP, uh, nominal GDP, as being a benchmark for long-term interest rates. But I'm not buying this idea that nominal GDP is going to fall to the levels that they think. If I was to describe, you know, this this confusion that you, we seem to have about this Fed policy, it's they're almost arguing that nothing of significance happened in 2020 and that we're going to return back to normalization in the word we like to use that's replaced transitory and go back to something between 2010 and 2019 where we can have you know, two, three, two and a half percent real growth, one percent to two percent inflation, four percent um, nominal growth, and that would bring everything down, and you'd have Goldilocks forever. 
But I'm not so sure that that's the case. I think that the economy has changed since the shutdown restart in 2020. And the Federal Reserve is still struggling to come to grips with right. that. And they're still thinking we're still in the last cycle. Greg, you've got to work with real money here. The decision to extend duration, to find the belly of the curve, all the other professional stuff you do at PGM. Does the language and the nuance of the forecast and the dots, does that change your conviction in what you're doing with your portfolios? Well, I would say that we're finally getting what we've been thinking for quite some time, and that is higher for longer, right? The markets have been raging against this notion uh, that rates will remain high. All the forward curves are pointing down, the dot plot pointing down. So I think this really throws cold water on that. And so for us at PGM, you know, we really think it's a uh, higher for longer. Uh, we never felt the need to jump into duration. Um, you know, maybe it's closer to that now, uh, but more in the back end of the curve. So, look, I mean, I think the Fed delivered exactly what they wanted to uh, provide a hawkish. Uh, sap that allows them to speak more dovishly and perhaps not move rates higher here. Greg, it's not just the high for longer message that jumps off the page of the SCP. It's the growth inflation mix looking out a year, two years, that they believe you can get back to target 2%. And unemployment's going to drift higher, maybe to 4%, and basically stop there. Greg, that has big implications for how you invest elsewhere, beyond rates, bonds, and to credit. Is that your outlook, that basically we can achieve back-to-target inflation, barely shaking up the labor market in any way, shape, or form? Well, it is very aspirational. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that is a Goldilocks type of uh, outlook. If you have an environment where you know rates remain uh, higher, but growth is quite robust and inflation is coming down, I think that is a fantastic investing backdrop. I do think we're pretty close to it. The challenge, of course, on the table is all these different uncertainties and cross currents, and that has not uh, gone away by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, we need to take these these forecasts with a grain of salt. There's no different than, you know, our own forecasts, right? They're uh, rife with, with uh, uncertainties. But, you know, I do think there's a distinct possibility here, at least directionally. And, um, you know, I feel pretty good about the outlook. Jim Bianco, do you feel pretty good about the outlook? Uh, you know, if we're talking about the outlook about the Fed, um, you know, I have my issues with it like everybody else. But to feed on something that Greg just said, let's be real. We all have forecasts and most likely they're all wrong, but that's OK because we're not being expected to predict the future. The key is whether or not we can adjust. We can see that, OK, the data is coming in, not as we expected, and we need to adjust these forecasts. Now, the Federal Reserve in the last couple of years has not had a good track record on that. We can all remember transitory. And what I'm afraid of with this Goldilocks forecast is when the situation comes in that it's not panning out, they're going to dig in their heels and continue to say it will. And they might wind up making another transitory type of mistake in 2024. I'd like to see Chairman Powell, you know, show some flexibility with these forecasts to say, look, this is what yeah. we think now. But if the circumstances and data comes in soon, that's out the window and we're going to adjust. And that, like I said, that is OK. That is what you should do with a forecast, not yeah. just keep at it because you're afraid of some embarrassment of having to change it. 
Uh, Jim Bianco, the laureate Paul Krugman, with a wonderful essay on disinflation, and he really emphasized what the Fed doesn't look at, which is plain vanilla inflation. Are they just miss in the fog of London, in the fog of Washington, the fog of across America? Are they missing a disinflationary tendency in place? Uh, I don't necessarily think they are missing a disinflationary tendency. I happen to be in the camp that inflation on a year over year basis, I'm talking about headline CPI, has bottomed for the year. It's going to drift towards 4%, not much higher than that. Wow. Um, energy prices are going to be a big factor in that drift higher. And that will be enough maybe to give us that one more rate hike that they're looking for and to at least justify going from two, from four to two cuts uh, next year. And I think that if that continues, that the December update of this plot will probably take those two cuts away as well. So I'm in that inflation is sticky camp and that the Fed is going to have to come to the realization that they're not going to get close um, to 3%. So the disinflation that they're hoping for, that inflation comes down, the unemployment rate could stay at 4 It's been described here as fanciful, and I would also be in that camp, too, that right. it is fanciful, and we'll have to see whether or not that type of situation unfolds. Yeah. John, moments ago, rounded up the 10-year real yield to 2%. This what speaks to Dominic Constant at Mizzou's idea of we are restrictive. Forgive me for thinking out loud, gents. There's a very very simplistic approach to markets. You get economic information, data, you think about what it means for the Fed, and you trade accordingly. Now, Greg, I wonder if that's just changed off the back of these forecasts from the Federal Reserve. And let me go one step further and explain why. The first Friday of the month, we'll get a payrolls report. And if that payrolls report is hot, typically we'd sit there and say, well, labor market pressure, higher inflation, Fed has to do more work. But Greg, hasn't the Fed just told us, haven't they just de-emphasized the importance of the labor market to the inflation conversation. Jonathan, I think that's putting way too much emphasis uh, uh, on the SEP and the forecasts. I mean, at the end of the day, we're in this data-driven world. Uh, the Fed is trying to balance that out. And I think the markets, given the fact that we're in this data-driven world and we're not getting what we're wanting uh, uh, in terms of clarity out of the Fed, we're relying a little too much on this uh, data release. So I don't think anything changes. I think if the data change, I think the Fed policy changes. Um, and, you know, it's also important to remember two things. One is that, you know, they don't have inflation going down to, uh, you know, 2% until 2026, which is, you know, quite some time from now. And then two, we just had a massive revision of GDP in this year. So, you know, let's use that as a kind of a reminder that uh, forecast error is really quite high here. Jim, what are your thoughts on the same question? Yeah, if I could give you a cynical thought, that is that let's see if we even get a payroll report on October 6th, because if we have a government shutdown, the BLS <laughs> is closed and Mike McKee's sitting in front of an empty building on that morning. So leaving that aside, I, I do think, though, that if you're talking about the payroll report, the consistency about it has been it's been much stronger than we've been looking at for the last 14, 18 months or so all but something like two or three of the reports have been uh, above consensus. And that seems to be the trend that I would think would stay in place. And if we see those kind of numbers uh, come in, it's going to push everybody firmly into that, away from that Goldilocks and into that higher for longer right. camp as well. We gotta make some money to get home here, John Farrell. Ian Lingen, the screaming buy of the 10-year yield, just says this is a Fed doubling down 
on soft landing. Uh, Mr. Lincoln, of course, at BMO Big Capital. Time. Greg, Greg Peters, if they're doubling down on soft landing, for you at PGM, is the 10-year yield a screaming buy? No, I don't quite understand that um, logic, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, what that would presuppose is that uh, you'd have a healthy dose of cuts uh, um, in response to that soft landing. So, no, I, I think yields are relatively range-bound here. Um, I don't really see a big move uh, either way. Yeah, it does look a little oversold. There's some technical dynamics, but ultimately on a medium-term basis, uh, it looks pretty fair value to us. So um, I don't think the bond market, investing in the bond market is not about capital appreciation. That is a pre-pandemic trade. It is about uh, roll and carry. And so, no, I don't expect it as a screaming buy. With that in mind, Greg, if there's a pool of money, people sitting at home right now, they're sitting on the front end, they've been told by a couple of people that they should worry about reinvestment risk in the next six months and allocate accordingly further down the curve. Are you saying relax, patience, you're fine where you are? Yeah, so I've been saying that uh, the uh, the whole time. No one wants to listen to it, right? I think there's been this tendency <laughs> to jump back into the pool because these you know, higher rates are going to evaporate. What the Fed has told you today, what the markets are finally starting to respond to is that, no, these rates are uh, actually around here for a while. So, um, yeah, so I don't think there's any yeah, and, reason to rush. And so we like duration, and, but we wouldn't go hell's bells. Sorry. And no. then let's fold this into Jim Bianco. I mean, John, it's just simple. <laughs> Bianco was way out front with this idea of defining what longer looks like with a 10-year yield, and he's in the camp with Greg Peters. Hey, Jim, this was great. Jim Bianco, together with Craig Peters. Thank you, guys. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.